traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Please welcome your CEO coach. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. From funding to finances, set up to staffing, the CEO coach will break down the art of business development from the ground up by one of the experts of online business growth, management, and development. Now, here to get you started is your CEO coach, Jillian Musick. Welcome to CEO Coach. I'm coming to you today from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, warm, sunny, um, a whole lot different than my hometown of Seattle, Washington. I'm here with Kate DeRosier, who's the CEO of Concierge Fashion, uh, a new startup here in the Valley, and a former deal flow manager at an angel fund group. Um, we're going to shoot the breeze today. Thanks for joining me today, Kate. Thanks for having me, Joanne. It's a pleasure to see you again. Well, that's good. Um, it's wonderful to see you, and uh, congratulations on your new startup, Concierge Fashion. You likened it to, you said, Concierge Medicine right? Tell me a little about your startup. Well, I'm in the concept stage. Right now I am working at Nordstrom at Scottsdale Fashion Square. I've got the hometown Nordstrom pride being a Seattle native. And um, what I specialize in is dressing men and women from head to toe. So taking the guesswork and the stress out of navigating fashion. People want to look polished, they want to look put together, and they feel confident when they look that way. And I'm here to help them. Sounds pretty good. Uh, so you've decided to do a lifestyle business. You don't think you're going to scale this onto the web, although we never know what happens, um, right? That's and right. Um, and that's interesting. Maybe later in the show we will also talk about a little bit about the differences and why you might choose a particular kind of startup to uh, play with. I've done a few shows on understanding what kind of startup you would want. But let's talk about your experience as a deal flow manager. Um, you saw well over 100 folks come through uh, wanting to pitch. And it was your job to decide who gets to pitch at a particular um, fund. So how did you make the, what was the criteria? How did you decide who got to pitch? Well, my role was to go out and um, find the startups to bring into our investor group. And so I had worked at a major university in a technology transfer office. So I've been kind of playing around um, technology and startups for a few years before I started going out and hunting them for investors. And um, what I would do is I would try to meet one-on-one with the team or the CEO and have them give me their pitch and talk to me a little bit about their deal and their goals. And then I would select them or deny them for our um, group coaching process. And then we would sort of coach them and mentor them to um, an investor presentation. Okay, so they didn't just come and present. Uh, you would listen to them first. You would find kind of the the diamonds in the rough and say, okay, now we have this team over here that will make you polished. Correct. And then you get up in front of the general audience who are the investors who would say, yeah, I'd like to put some bucks down. Correct. Yep, that All was right. the, the front line, sort of the front screen for the, okay. for the group and for the fund. Okay, so if I were um, a startup and uh, I wanted to get in and so on, you would come in and visit me. What would say, absolutely no way, this guy is not getting on the stage? 
anyone that wanted to give me their 30 minute pitch when we only had 30 minutes to meet is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, many people kind of felt like they wanted to give me all the backstory, all the specifics, and just tell me every single facet of everything that they were doing and not really understanding that when they actually came in front of the investors, they were only going to have five minutes on stage. And so many people did not seem to understand how to kind of contain their story and their message into um, you know, a very quick pitch that would resonate with investors. So that was sort of the first thing. Okay, so being so woefully unprepared that when you said, hey, we'll have a five-minute pitch, they couldn't even get it past 30 minutes. Correct. Okay, so that would be a real good heads up. Yes. Get it down to at least 10 and say, okay, now we can get you better. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so when you said you had 30 minutes to meet, you meant it. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a good tip as well. And how about one that would say, oh, that gal absolutely gets on the stage. What was it that would spark you to say, yeah, this is going to get on my stage? Well, anyone that, that respected, because I thought of myself, I would always try to put myself in the investor's shoes. Now, I'm not an angel investor yet. Um, but anyone that treated me as though I was an investor, so they showed up on time, they showed up in a suit or looking polished, um, and they showed up ready to talk to me and were wanting to sort of read my reactions. So anyone that showed up and was able to kind of distill their message into about five or 10 minutes and then sit back and ask me what I thought about what they Mm. were doing and whether or not what they were doing resonated with investors. Many people came just wanting to tell their story and didn't have any questions for me about whether or not this was going to be a good use of time and resources. And to me, that was a red flag. Okay. So again, knowing enough about what to ask. And mm-hmm. yeah, is this a good time, mm-hmm. a use of time and resources mm-hmm. would be a brilliant question. Should I bother? Does yes. your group want me? Yeah. Is it worth the entrance fee and my time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That sounds pretty darn good. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the folks who did get invested um, and some of the folks who didn't. So you saw, again, over, well, well over 100 companies, some of whom did or didn't get on that stage. Now, of all of those who got on the stage, again, that's over 100 folks getting up on the stage. Um, I guess, how were they prepared by the investor group first? And is that common? So my understanding of the different groups in the area where I was working at the time was that a lot of the other groups were not offering any type of sort of coaching or polishing services prior to presenting. So it seemed to me that many of the other groups were very focused on deal structure and quality of the deal, whereas our group, we cared about that, but we were also very interested in offering the entrepreneurs um, services because they were paying us for the privilege of presenting to our group. So we wanted to give them that additional value add. So what we would do is we would actually have them come meet with me. And then if they made the first cut, then we would bring them in front of our, we had a screening board. So we had a group of professionals from all different areas that would then watch the pitch give the feedback, and then we would make decisions about who was actually going to get up on the stage. And so actually, if somebody was accepted to get up in front of our investor group, they would then work, you know, maybe two-on-one with some coaches to kind of help them really tighten up their pitch and get it ready. Okay. So they would have to have their own pitch set to go, and they would get some polishing. That's right. But they should not expect somebody to create the whole no, pitch. No, it, it okay. and it wasn't okay. about, you know, going into the particulars of the valuation of the deal structure. It was how do I get the critical info into five minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
That makes good sense. So before we take a break here at CEO Coach, uh, tell me a little bit about, I guess, those who succeeded and those who didn't. Were you able after a while, you know, they'd made the first cut, so that was one thing, but how could you keep your finger on it as you were able to go through this process with so many companies? Well, I always was kind of surprised by the decisions that would be made by the investors because um, I'll have to say, you know, my background is in counseling psychology, so I'm very focused on relationships and the interpersonal aspects of, you know, our day-to-day dealings. And so for me, I would always be really paying close attention to, does this person sound credible? Do they sound intelligent? Do I trust them? Do I believe them? Are they making eye contact? Are they trying to connect with me while they're pitching? And so a lot of times the people that I thought had really great pitches that looked really great were not the ones investors were interested in. Because I guess the deal structure thing is important to you guys. I don't know. <laughs> yes, the deal <laughs> yeah. structure is important. Yeah. All so, right. so sometimes okay. I would see you know, an entrepreneur come up and pitch, and they would be very dry, and they would be very mechanical, kind of wooden. And we'd get into the investor del- deliberation room, and the investors would say, I love this deal. I want to do it. And I would think, how could you even hear it? I was asleep. Because the pitch was so boring. So for you, you were saying, I don't love the... Uh, the entrepreneur, and they were saying, I love the deal, mm-hmm. not the entrepreneur. Right. Okay. So we're going to take a break here at CEO Coach and talk about uh, whether or not you really want to invest in deals or CEOs or how it all works and comes together. This is Jillian Music with Kate DeRosa at CEO Coach. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. More on how to build your business on the web with the CEO Coach right after this. The SES Conference and Expo is making a springtime stop to New York City, March 25th through the 28th. SES New York 2013 is moving to a brand new venue in the heart of Times Square at the New York Marriott Marquis. Register now at SESConference.com. SES New York 2013 features some of the best and brightest minds in search and social marketing with keynote addresses by top-level executives from Google, Twitter, ESPN, and more. SES New York 2013 will also feature a loaded expo hall and Texpo Pavilion. On-site training by the ClickZ Academy, WebmasterRadio.fm's annual search bash, and so much more. Register before Thursday, February 21st and save $600 off early bird registration. SES New York 2013 at the New York Marriott Marquis in the heart of Times Square, March 25th through the 28th. Register now at SESConference.com. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Have you tried to do CPA conversions using social PPC and failed? <laughs> You're not alone. These days, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube require true specialists to dominate. <laughs> Aim clear. The agency brings definitive psychographic targeting, bleeding edge creative, and killer content amplification to the social advertising table. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. 
top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. We're back with Jelly and Music, the CEO coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And welcome back. We're talking today with Kate DeRosier. I'm talking about uh, deal flow, about how angel groups function from the inside out. And she brings to us some you know, fascinating insights from being neither an investor nor a presenter, but from being inside the angel fund itself. So welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay. So, Kate, we were talking a little bit about angel investors who funded deals rather than um, CEOs. And you saw it as fund the people first. And I see it that way, too. It always surprises me when people put money without consideration of who's running the operation. Staggers me. I see it happening in VC companies as well, but mostly I see it happening among angels, where they don't invest, as VCs tell us they do, in people first, industries second, and in ideas or the company itself third. And so this idea or the deal is uh, kind of the primary focus. I think when you do that, it's a huge mistake. Have you been able to track any of those deals um, to see whether or not they were, you know, valuable or not? Could you say, oh, yeah, look, they put money in the deal, not the person, and yeah, it crashed. Were you able to track it long enough? You know, I was only at the group for about 18 months, so that was not long enough to see uh, the the deals that were funded in my time where they are. I mean, obviously, I try to pay attention to some of my favorites and see how they're doing. Um, but everybody was still kind of in those early stages where it wasn't clear whether or not it was actually going to turn into anything. Okay. So that, that's pretty hard, yeah. And, of course, it's very early stage funding when you get to nice. the angel fund, so exactly. it's going to take a little while longer there. Yeah. Um, we talked about a couple of other things this morning. Uh, you talked about the attributes of um, deals that you thought should have been funded but weren't and deals that didn't get funded but, uh, you know, should have, things like that. Tell us a little bit more about that. How about some deals that you remember where you said that should have been funded and it didn't get funded through this particular angel group? Well, there was, um, in particular, I, I really had a soft spot for, there was a gentleman that had his own beer company. So he was brewing and canning his own beer and he had um, three or four different types. So he was really into this sort of niche market of of craft craft brewing and he wanted to um, go up against the big guys you know that were mm-hmm. I mean he was telling us all this stuff about how you know all the grains and hops were coming from Germany over to Missouri and you know getting put into these horrible tasting beers and um, he wanted to change that and sort of create um, sort of a regional powerhouse from um, from the city that he was working in and um, you know the guy I mean, the guy just was a beer guy. I mean, that's that was just his passion. It was his love. He had a um, advanced degree in finance, and to me, he seemed like a very credible person. He was very serious about his product, and he was very serious about how he planned to make the investors money. Because that was one of the stumbling blocks that I would see is that people would come in and they would give their um, customer pitch instead mm-hmm. of their investment. 
master pitch, two very different things. Maybe we can touch on that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was just very surprised when, you know, he kind of made it to the deliberations phase and we brought him in for a due diligence round, but he did not make it past that. And, you know, there were some other groups that did and it, it, it kind of mystified me why he didn't. And so then of course, you know, when I asked the investor group, they said, well, the deal structure and and such. But to me, it just seemed like somebody who was so passionate about his product, who'd put so much of his own money and time into it. Um, I just felt like he had something there. And, and, you know, apparently the investors did not agree with me. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that sometimes it really was about uh, who you knew as opposed to the deal itself? Sometimes I did see that, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, in our particular group, a lot of the investors were working as consultants to startups around the region. And so, you know, their horse would come in, um, they would be there helping them to, you know, coach them to get in front of the pit. And then they would be there um, lobbying for them, essentially, in these deliberation sessions. And yeah. so that sounds uh, like a long, a strong conflict of interest. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's uh, right. But it is something that yeah. our CEOs who are listening in here today really need to know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that will happen. And being able to get an insight into whether that's about to happen will tell you whether or not it's worth presenting at exactly. a particular angel fund. I think that's an important issue. Uh, is it worth spending your time? As you said, is it worth spending your money? Mostly is it worth spending your time? Indeed. It's yeah. the time that's so critical. That's Although, resource. of course, some angel funds charge more than others to present right. and that sort of thing. And that's a, an issue that all of our CEOs should be looking at too. It's never a bad <laughs> idea to do a Google search and see you know, who's on the team and who's on the advisory board and then you know googling those people and seeing are they investors and in which groups are they active because mm-hmm. if you see that you might know that that person's going to have an added competitive edge that makes good sense so um simple google search will tell you mm-hmm. from one to the next you can triangulate the data yeah. and get what you need to know all right in 10 minutes in 10 minutes okay mm-hmm. so that's the hottest tip today go out there and find out who else is pitching at the angel group that you're thinking about pitching to whether or not some of the people who are both investors and sitting on the investment board of that angel fund are going to be looking at uh promoting folks that they're already working with big strong conflict of interest. Okay, um, once we get uh, past those kinds of things, how about uh, companies where you thought they should have, uh, should not have gotten funded, but they did anyway, and it wasn't because of this conflict of interest. It just, it just happened. What did you feel? Uh, perhaps, again, when you were talking about people as opposed to um, uh, deals, where you looked at a deal and you went, I understand that one. Um, actually, you, you talked about one this morning also that did get funded. Uh, something with a hard hat. Tell us about that one. Yes. Okay. So this company is called Illumagear, and they are working out of Seattle, Washington. The CEO's name is Max Baker. And I was telling Julian, he was a childhood acquaintance of mine. And we kind of bumped into each other um, as adults. And he has been working on this idea for several years now. And essentially, it's a hard hat with a specialized LED lighting system. So it both illuminates the area around the construction worker and also creates, you know, very high visibility lights on the person's head, which, you know, of course, there are many, many accidents and fatalities in the construction industry, especially with highway workers. So this was both kind of a safety and functionality feature. And so he'd been looking at, you know, getting IP protections, and that was a little bit difficult. Um you know, trying to get funded. And so he'd been kind of out in the space for, I would say, probably two or three years before and across him when he was looking for money. And so wait, you had the first line of defense there. Yes. Um, you knew this guy. 
Yeah. Did that speak to your decision to bring him in, or was it really his presentation to you? It was and his, the product. I can absolutely say it was his presentation um, because you know I wouldn't I wouldn't call him you know a buddy of mine, right. but I was so impressed you know knowing him as a five year old and then seeing him as a thirty three year old, yeah, and and getting up yeah. there and speaking with so much confidence and um, and clarity and. Uh, you know, he had a real earnestness about him, you know, just kind of this, this, I almost want to call it old fashioned um, sense of getting up and just being a very honest businessman and really understanding how to talk to the investors Mm. and understanding that it was not a consumer pitch. Okay. So he did talk to the investors about how he was going to bring them a larger box of money when they gave him a box of money. Exactly. That is the killer piece. Yes. He totally understood that. And he had this sort of the the underlying message in everything that I heard him saying was, I'm the guy to do it. I'm going to work like a dog to make this succeed. This is my passion. I want to save lives. My system is the way to do it. Okay. And that underlined everything that he said. Okay. Pretty cool. Um, I think there were uh, perhaps one or two others in all that time where you said they stood out. And these guys really deserve the funding they got. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other 98, tell us what the killer pieces were where you say, absolutely not. Just don't do that stuff or you're not going to get funded. We're going to take a break here for a moment. When we come back, give us that rundown of what to avoid when you get up on that stage. This is Jillian Music with Kate DeRozier, from former deal flow manager at an angel fund group. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. More on how to build your business on the web with the CEO coach right after this. Discuss and shape the future of performance marketing in New York City, March 12th to the 13th at the Performance Marketing Insights Conference. Come hear from and talk to other global industry leaders as they share how they're developing new revenue streams, deploying the latest technologies, preparing for increased regulation, and leveraging for the most effective digital advertising channels. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners can save 15% on registration by using the promo code WEBMPMI15. That's WEBMPMI15. For more information and to register today, visit PerformanceMarketingInsights.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. 
We're back with Jelly and Music, the CEO coach, only on webmasterradio.fm. And welcome back. We're wrapping up here at CEO Coach Kate DeRosa, a former deal flow manager at the Angel Fund Group, um, also CEO of Concierge Fashion. Uh, Kate, before we sign off here, tell us what you absolutely don't do when you get up on stage. Things that, that just shot these uh, you know, CEOs in the foot um, or deals in the foot before investors even listen to them. What was going on? Well, I'll say one thing is absolutely personal appearance. And, you know, I think people get really busy working on the product or the technology, and they're not thinking about how they're coming across um, in front of a group of distinguished people with whom they're basically trying to have a romance. So I'd see people show up in, you know, kind of yard work clothes to do their pitch. And Mm -hmm. it's like, put on a suit, put on a jacket, you know, get yourself polished, look good, make eye contact. I can't believe how many people would get up and pitch, and it was like they were in a room with themselves doing their practice pitch. No eye contact, no making connections with the audience, um, you know, just no sense of the, the personality of the person up there speaking. And, you know, I saw investors just absolutely not even care or want to look at the deal because of things like that. You know, I showed up. How come you? Yeah, that makes good sense. Uh, know the audience you're talking to and make sure you're dressed for them. Uh, I always say, when in Rome, speak like the Romans. We don't go to grandmas in the same way that we would necessarily hang out with our friends on you know, Friday afternoon. That's right. Okay. So uh, how you show up, uh, certainly making connections with the audience, whether you're shy or not shy, this is a good time to make sure that you're connecting with somebody who wants to give you a large pot of money and make a big difference in your life. Exactly. Um, you said something about like what they focused on or whether they were organized and so on uh, when we were talking before. How was that? How does that affect things? Well, one of the most disappointing things that we would see is, you know, as I said earlier, the particular group for which I worked, we would match them up with coaches, pitch coaches. And so many people did be coached. They had their pitch down. They had the way that they wanted to say it. And so many times the people that were resistant to outside feedback would get up and do it an investor pitch like it was a customer pitch. So like they were selling the product and they would spend four and a half minutes talking about the product and really getting into the intricacies of the technology. And then about the last 30 seconds, they'd rush through the deal structure and, and, you know, quickly try to make that connection with the investors. And for us, that seemed like a red flag because if you can't take any coaching on the pitch, how are you going to work with investors who maybe want to talk about what you were doing with their money? It's all connected. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing. Um, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. I, I constantly talk about spending more time on the money slides, if you will, the pitch or the deal. Uh, the structure of a deal includes uh, where you are in development now, how much money it's going to take to either launch or to market, uh, what your global market looks like, your competitive landscape, so the opportunity and, of course, and the competitive landscape, your uh, your risks, uh, what uh, other risks might look like uh, in the future, who else is working on this space, uh, things like what you think you're going to make in the next few years, what your income stream looks like, and of course about how you approach the market, how you're going to get this thing out to the general world at large. So all of those things are money slides, and of course, what you're asking for, and what your valuation is, and And, why your valuation is that way. And you'd be surprised how many people would not include an ask in their pitch. Really? Yes. They they did not ask for the cash? I I mean, I would say probably 40% of people that I saw did not have an ask slide. So uh, I would be sitting in an audience, for example, as an investor, but I wouldn't know how much money they needed or how much money they were asking for. Right. It would be like, well, nice pitch. Why are you here? 
Do you need something from me? I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> not connecting with this. <laughs> and, and did any of those people ever get funded if they did not have a slide that said, this is what I'm asking for? Never. How, how do you get money if you're not asking for any? Never. It seems okay. like common sense, but you'd be surprised. Okay. So 100% didn't make that happen. Any serious hot tips for folks who did get funded? What was something amazing that they seemed to all do on stage? I mean, a number of these guys got funded. What did they do while they were pitching? Nobody else did, and they all did it. I think one of the biggest things is they spoke with confidence, and they really seemed to understand their audience, as we were saying earlier. They understood that they were talking to investors and that they could quickly do kind of their problem statement and their solution statement, but that they needed to focus on how they were going to make the investor money. And they were able to do that. They understood their deal. They you know, had a strong team of advisors behind them, and they came as as you know strong and understanding what they were doing but also open to potential feedback from the outside so having that confidence with some openness that was the deal that okay. seemed to really turn our investor group on okay mm-hmm. so it is about uh, investing in a ceo because it's the ceo who gives the pitch there was that one piece though sometimes ceos don't pitch themselves is this a hit Sometimes it is. Um, you know, I, I came from university technology transfer, and many times you didn't want the CEO doing the pitch because they were the PhD level scientist, and what they understood were, you know, the very, very deep, deep elements of the technology. And they were not the type that were going to be able to get up there and shake hands and tell a compelling story. So sometimes the CEO is really better left back in the lab or the shop or so mm-hmm. on. And they need to have a strong person. That's really more of a marketer mm-hmm. to get out there and tell the story in a compelling way. And in a way that connects with people and a good use of time makes good sense. This is Jillian music at CEO coach. We've had a great chat. Thank you for being with us, Kate. You're welcome. Thank Folks you. reach you if they need to, for example, get, dressed to get on a stage, because that's what you do over at uh, Fashion Concierge. That's right. Well, you can come see me at Nordstrom Scottsdale, or you can reach me at Kate the D, K-A-T-E-T-H-E-D, or you can find me on Facebook. Sounds great. Thanks so much. We'll put some contact information for Kate out on Facebook if you've got more questions about her experience of being a deal flow manager or if you just need somebody to help you get your act together in terms of fashion. This is Jillian Music at CEO Coach. You can download these shows through iTunes or at webmasterradio.fm. And don't forget, we've got a mobile app now. Check it out, webmasterradio.fm, a mobile app for you. Till next week, this is Jillian Music at CEO Coach. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? 
the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.